Over the course of my life, my short 32 years, I've been involved in some pretty great clubs. Clubs, organizations, associations, teams, leagues, they all are united around something. They are all dedicated to a certain activity, a common interest, a common hobby. Some less serious and some more serious. For example, when I studied abroad in Australia uh, in my undergrad program, I was a part of the Chocolate Society, and it was literally just that. We just sat around and we ate chocolate. Not a bad organization to be a part of. And then, more serious, I was an officer in student council throughout high school. And then there are obviously plenty of sports teams that I'm sure many of us have been a part of. I've been a part of countless hockey teams, and I'm sure we've all had various gym memberships over the years. The list goes on and on, you get it. I do think that one of my uh, f- most favorite um, organizations that I was a part of when I was, when I was a child, uh, on Saturday mornings, I'd go to Game Castle and I'd compete in the Pokemon League. And we would battle a trading card game. I'd play against other kids, sometimes adults as well, and, and we'd play the card game, and it was a ton of fun. Another great one, uh, I was just talking to Madison about this uh, this weekend. She, my wife, was the president of the chess club in elementary school. It's pretty, pretty sweet. And there's an aspect of community in each of these associations, each of these clubs. But when you remove the hobby or the group dismantles, generally the friendships also dissolve with it. Generally. And in the local church, There are many similarities to social clubs. Uh, We meet regularly. Um, There's structure. We are united around a common denominator. We are united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today, I'm going to argue, though, that the church, the community of saints, is more than a mere social club. And the community that we have with one another in the local church goes deeper than community that can be had through various social clubs. Because I believe that there'll be a day when all the believers of all time will be united together in fellowship with one another and fellowship with God the Father in heaven for eternity. And we look forward to that day. That is a group that cannot be dismantled. And so today, we're going to look at what devotion to the fellowship looks like. What commitment to one another and commitment to the church looks like. And we're going to read from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And from this passage, we are going to explore what devotion to the church does not look like, and then what devotion to the church does look like. And our big truth for today is this. The church is the community of saints bought by the blood of Jesus and devoted to God and to one another. So let's go ahead and read from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And so we first need to ask, when we look at this passage, who is the they referring to in verse 42? And simply put, it's the early church, the first church after Pentecost. You see, right before this passage, we read about 120 followers of Jesus gathered together on the day of Pentecost. And we read about the Holy Spirit filled them all up, which marked the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And because it was the day of Pentecost, there were thousands of people gathered on this day. And they're all looking at this group, wondering what in the world is going on, what is happening. And so Peter stands up, a likely thing that Peter would do. He stands up in front of everybody, and, this is, and he delivers a powerful, powerful sermon. And this is how the people respond to the sermon. And we can read this in verse 37, so just a little bit before. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the they that we read about in verse 42 is the 120 people plus the 3,000 new Christians. And can you imagine what that scene looked like? Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, delivering a servant, and 3,000 people coming to faith in Christ, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord, and then being baptized. This group made up the first church. And in our passage, we see many characteristics of this church. Again, in chapter 2, verse 42, we see that the church is devoted to the apostles' teaching. That is, they're devoted to the teaching and preaching of God's word. They are a worshiping church. They are a church committed to witnessing and to evangelizing. We see that the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. This would have likely included the Lord's Supper, which we talked about a few weeks ago, but also just sharing meals together as a church. Devoting themselves to prayer would have been both as a large group corporately, but also then broken up into house churches as well. And we at Overland, we have preached and will continue to preach on these various aspects of the church, but our focus today is going to be narrower. Our focus today is going to be on how they devoted themselves to the fellowship, that is, to one another. So the Greek word for fellowship is koinia, and that just means a participation in, a sharing in. It means that there is a common participation in God. We read in 1 John 1, 3, 
John says this, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what John is saying is that because of the gospel, we have fellowship with God. And we preach this same God to you, the same gospel to you, so that you would have fellowship both with us, but also with God. These things go together. If you love Christ and are in fellowship with Christ, you will also love his bride, the church, and be in fellowship with her. The gospel binds us together. We share in common spiritual realities. When the Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts and minds, and when we have become captivated by the beauty of the gospel, and when we follow Jesus with our whole life, it's going to mean following Jesus into relationships. Zach said at the start of our sermon series a few weeks ago, that if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow him to the church. And that's going to mean sharing in community with one another. But because we all still live in a fallen and broken world, because we all still sin, this means that those relationships at times are going to be messy. And there'll come a point, no doubt, when somebody in the church is going to hurt you. There is no perfect church. But there is a perfect God. And that's the God that we get to worship together in community. We are a broken people redeemed only by the grace of God. And so if you love Jesus, you will love the church. It won't always be easy, but it is worth fighting for. And so we're going to talk about what fellowship to the church does not look like. Um, so and what it does look like. But we're going to start with what it does not look like. So our first big idea for today is this. Devotion to the fellowship does not look like having a consumer mindset. It does not look like having a consumer mindset. The idea of commitment, even the word commitment, is usually uncomfortable for us. Uh, we often don't like to hear it. Uh, how often do you get added to a group chat, someone probably doesn't have an iPhone, so the text messages are green, it's so frustrating, but you get added to a group chat, and someone's inviting the group to come over, or to host a party, uh, or have a get-together, and how often do you see nobody respond, right? Nobody responds. Um, I'm guilty of this as well, by the way. I just rarely see uh, responses, and then a few days before the event, whatever it is, I start to see the text come through. Oh, hey, I'm, I'm going to be there. Or, hey, actually, sorry, I can't make it. No matter how long out this text was, right? And I think what we do, because we don't like to commit, is we like to evaluate every option that we have. We have the fear of missing out, right? So we evaluate every option. And then at the end, we always just choose what's best for us. What's going to bring me the most happiness? This is a consumer mentality. We don't commit until we have evaluated all of our options. And I also see this consumer mentality in friendships as well. That there's this contractual understanding rather than a deep commitment to one another. 
This can be seen in wanting to be a part of the right friend group because it's going to increase my social clout. Or I'm going to try to be friends with this person because, hey, they work for a great company, and if I can get my foot in the door, maybe I can work for that company as well. That's happened to me. I used to work at Otterbox as a financial analyst, and I would get invitations to go out to coffee all the time. And I thought they just wanted to catch up. But then at the end of the conversation, it's like, hey, man, so could you put in a good word for me at Otterbox? And it's like, I should have known better, right? We have this consumer mentality. A lot of our commitments are really consumer-based commitments. What can I get out of this relationship? And we even see this regarding the church. There are churches that will cater to this mindset. They do this by telling the congregation whatever they want to hear, by inflating their egos, by sweeping talk about sin and hell under the rug, by not calling out one another's sins, by just giving them a feel-good message, not expecting much of their attendees, setting the bar really low, not challenging them to commit to one another and invest in one another's life. And then there are the people who look for those churches, who have that consumer mentality. They want a place to go to feel good about themselves, where the bar is set low, where they're not going to be asked to serve, where they're not going to be asked to get in community, to, to make disciples, to evangelize. I can tell you right now, that's, that is not our church. That is not Overland Church. Another aspect of what devotion to the fellowship does not look like is church shopping and church hopping. And this tends to happen when, when somebody is looking for that perfect church. And then as soon as they get to a church and they hear something that they don't like, they bounce to the next one. And certainly, church shopping is necessary for a time. Even Zach, at the beginning of the, of the sermon series, said that we want to be involved with a church of people that we like to be around, right? And so it, it makes sense that there is going to be a time of seeing what's out there, seeing the community of people at each church. And we here at Overland just want you to be a part of a good church, a good Bible-believing church. And so if Overland's not that place for you, we'll help you find a good Bible-believing church in the area. Church shopping is definitely necessary, but not indefinitely necessary. There is an expiration date. And so if we are going to follow Jesus, our chief shepherd, we are going to follow him to the church. So briefly, that was what devotion to the church does not look like. And obviously there's plenty more that could be said. But now let's shift our attention and look at what devotion to the church does look like. And we're going to do this uh, by looking at four different ways this happens. So our next big idea is this. Devotion to the fellowship looks like bearing one another's burdens. Bearing one another's burdens. So go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4 and following. And in this account, in this context, we read about Jesus healing a paralyzed man. He is teaching and he's preaching inside of somebody's home. And the house is absolutely packed out. There is no room left in the house for anybody to come in. And so this is a story of four friends 
of four friends who desperately want to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus, to be healed. They desperately want to get him there. So we read this in Mark chapter 2, verse 3. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So can you imagine what life would have been like for this paralyzed man in ancient Rome? He could do literally nothing on his own. He had to be moved around place to place. He had to be fed. He had to be clothed. He had to be bathed. He was helpless. He was a beggar solely dependent on other people. But he did have one thing, though. He had four really good friends. He had a community. These friends were devoted to him, so much so that they went through great lengths to get him to Jesus. And this man, this paralyzed man, did not have a lot to offer in worldly terms. He probably wasn't successful, didn't have a job, didn't have money, didn't have influence, but yet his friends chose to love him anyways, regardless. This friendship took intentionality. And so what do these four guys do? In their devotion to their friends, they carry him on his mat to where Jesus was preaching. But they come, and they find that there's lines out the door, that the house is packed out, that there's no way to get inside. But they don't let that stop them. They don't let that stop them from getting to Jesus. I mean, picture the scene. They get there, probably winded, carrying their friend who knows how long. And they're excited, they're anxious, and then they see the house is just packed. And they probably just instantly, their excitement turns to disappointment. They're letting down their friend who they took here to get him healed. Um, it's probably a, a, a tough thing to see. It would have been discouraging. But one of them gets a stroke of, of, of genius, right? He says, we're going to climb this house, get on the roof, and we're going to break in, like something straight out of a, out a James Bond movie. We're going to break into this house. And they do. They access the roof, which is probably made up of sticks and branches and clay mixed together to form tiles. And the Bible says they made an opening. They made an opening on the roof. And I just think that's Mark's nice way of saying, yeah, they just smashed a giant hole in the roof. That's, that's what they did. And sure enough, they do, and they lower their friend down through the top of the roof to where Jesus is. All five of them probably anxious to how Jesus is going to respond to this interruption. And how does he respond to this interruption? It's beautiful. Look at verse 5. We read, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then a few verses later, in response to the unjustly angry scribes, Jesus says this, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God. His friends got him to Jesus. 
And Jesus sees their faith. He sees their love and devotion to their friends. And he has compassion. He both forgives his sin and he heals him. This is a beautiful picture of what devotion to community through bearing one another's burdens looks like. Paul says in Galatians 6-2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Why do we bear one another's burdens? Because Jesus bore our burden. Our sin, our shame, our guilt, our condemnation, Jesus bore that for us. In love, he took on our burden through his atoning work on the cross. And so, out of a profound sense of gratitude, of love and humility and devotion to the community of saints, we joyfully bear one another's burdens. Our next big idea is this. That devotion to the fellowship looks like sharing life together. And we see this in 1 Thessalonians when we see Paul's love for the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, we read this. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So through the time that Paul and his team spent with the church in Thessalonica, they became very near and dear to Paul. They wanted to share the gospel, yes, but they also wanted to share their lives. It takes time. It takes energy and effort to build a friendship. Friendships need to be cultivated. They don't just spring up out of the blue. I mentioned in in the beginning Um, that often we have friendships that are based on a hobby, hobby hobby-based friendships. And those are a great way to start. But oftentimes, like I said, when the hobby goes away, so does that friendship. And so I have a quick quick story where this didn't happen. Uh, It was a friend of mine um, who we shared a mutual hobby with. I met him. This was when I was in college, in my undergrad. I was not yet a Christian. I was not yet... A believer, um, and I met him. We had a mutual love for hockey, and he was a great man, uh, is a great man, and he invited me to play in a pond hockey tournament with him. And I said, "Yeah, sure, why not? That sounds great. Up in the mountains, yeah." And he's like, "Yeah, well, why don't you stay with my family and I and a couple other guys from the team?" And I said, "Okay, sure, that sounds sounds great. Free, free lodging." Um, and over the course of the weekends, remember, I'm not a Christian yet, I got to witness firsthand what Christian community looked like. As I saw this family function, as I saw the other believers on the team work together and love one another, and I was welcome in, I was invited into that. And I can look back on that experience now, years later, knowing that that was a pivotal part of my journey to faith, it was through Daniel Smith inviting me into his fellowship, into his community. We shared a mutual love for hockey, but he also shared the gospel, and he also shared his life with me. So devotion to the fellowship looks like sharing life together. Our next 
big idea is this. Devotion to the fellowship looks like encouraging one another. Simple. Looks like encouraging one another. And I get this from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, which say this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we ought to be a church that is marked by the way that we encourage one another. I mean, ask yourself, when was the last time that I encouraged somebody? And not in like a vague, general way, but in a real specific way that communicates to that person, hey, I know you and I care about you. Just a few weeks ago, I got a text from Devin in our church. It was a simple text. It probably took him two minutes to write, but it was not general and vague. It was specific, and it was just a really encouraging piece of feedback. And that act itself encouraged me. It made me just encouraged for the whole rest of the day. Like, that's the type of church we ought to be, where we encourage one another. So do, do you criticize more than you encourage? Do you use your speech to build others up or to tear others down? Consider how you can encourage one another, especially here in the context of the local church. So the last thing that we're going to look at when determining what devotion to the fellowship is, is this. This is our last big idea. Devotion to the fellowship looks like serving through love. And when we talk about serving, there's a tendency to feel guilty, right? It can be uncomfortable, um, and it can, it can lead to us just signing up to serve out of guilt, right? And that's the last thing that we want, is for you to go home and feel like you ought to serve out of some guilt-based mentality. That is not the heart of service, and that's not our heart for serving in this church. We don't desire a guilt-motivated service. Devotion to the fellowship through service out of obligation is not service. Genuine service is born out of love. And this makes sense, right? When we love somebody, we want to serve them. Not out of guilt, but because we love them. My wife Madison knows that I love to have a clean car. I love when I open it and it's got a fresh scent to it. The, the dash is wiped down. Everything's vacuumed up. Uh, and, and for me in particular, that things are organized. You see, because I have a lot of sports equipment in my car. I love sports. And so I drive around with a lot of sports equipment and gear in my car because I want to be ready to play at any given notice. So I've got tennis rackets. I've got badminton rackets, a badminton net, pickleball paddles, a pickleball net, uh, at least a couple spike ball nets, my hockey sticks, frisbees, footballs, volleyballs. I have everything in there. And sometimes it can get overwhelming. And so Madison, what she does, not out of obligation, but out of love, she'll clean and organize my car. And she gets excited to say, hey, why don't you come and look at your car? You know, and I get joy out of that. And she's not serving out of guilt. She's serving out of love. True service is born out of love. 
And so as we think about serving in the local church, it is not of obligation, but out of a love for the church, a love for the community. Francis Chan says, it's meaningless when we just go, well, I should serve God. Let me just get it over with and do something, versus saying, God, I love you, and you have given me giftedness, and let me use everything that I am and all of my experiences that I have been through with you and somehow package that and use that to serve you with, to present something to you. You see, serving comes out of devotion to one another. And devotion to another comes out of a love for one another. And a love for one another comes out of a love for God. And a love for God comes from him first loving us, right? 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. So what does this love look like? Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Let us see. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is a pretty gloomy passage. It says that we were dead. That we were dead in sin. That we followed the course of this world. Which means that we were just getting tossed to and fro, following the world. The world is telling us what to do, how to live, what to like, what to not like. And when we did this, we actually followed Satan. He was blazing the path before us, and we were following him, indulging the passions and the lusts of our flesh. We were dead in sin, and we were under the just condemnation of God the Father for this. This is the bad news, but this passage does not end there. Look at the next verse. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. This is one of the greatest statements in all of the Bible. But God. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin and trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. When we were on the path of destruction, God loved us and saved us. And this act of God it has a purpose. Verse 7 says, so that, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Our salvation shows off the grace of God. 
Our salvation is a gift from God. And since it is a gift, there's no basis for trying to earn salvation. If salvation had to be earned, it wouldn't be a gift. So service in and to and through the church is not meant to get you bonus points from God. It flows out of love. And we see this because after this whole beautiful explanation Paul just gives, we see the next verse. Paul says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has prepared works for us to do before we were even born. And that's an honor. We each have work to do on this side of eternity. We are to do it to the glory of God. Serving the kingdom brings God the glory. And Paul tells us in Colossians that whatever we do, whatever we do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so as we think about serving the church, what devotion to the fellowship looks like, we ought to look to the chief servant, Jesus. The ultimate model of love and humility and service is found in Jesus. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul encourages the church to be united, to have one mind among them. And he says that you do this by looking to Jesus. So let me go ahead and read from Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, the hymn of Christ. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy of being of the same minds, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus loved us enough to take on humanity. He condescended to become one of us. He was born of humble origins. He served not expecting anything in return. He loved the unlovable. He welcomed the outcast. He fed the hungry. He washed the dirty. He healed the sick. He gave hope to the hopeless. He encouraged the faint-hearted, and chiefly, he gave his life for us. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus went to the cross, he experienced more than the pain of crucifixion, although that was tremendous. There was psychological pain and anguish that he experienced 
as our guilt was thrust upon him. I mean, think about that feeling that we experience when we've done something terrible, we know we have, we feel awful, we feel guilty, that, that pit in our stomach, that pain in our stomach, that was put on Jesus, not just for one sin, but for all of the sins. Jesus became the object of judgment for us. You see, God is just, and so he cannot just sweep sin under the rug. Sin had to be dealt with, and Jesus dealt with it. Bearing the wrath of God is something that we could never comprehend. We will never know what that's like. Praise be to God. Jesus truly did pay it all. He paid our debts. All of our sin, past, present, future, every cent was paid in full by the precious blood of Jesus. And God's grace is freely offered to anybody who would trust in Christ for salvation and who would repent and turn from their sins and quit following the passions of their flesh and follow Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus knew that the penalty of sin had been paid in full when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. Jesus is the ultimate model of love and service. He died for us, and more than that, he was raised to life. Christ is alive, and he is reigning from the throne in heaven. He is truly the king of kings. He is the servant king. Paul says in Galatians 5, Verse 12, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. How do we serve one another? We serve through love. And I've only been here at Overland since August, so coming up on a, on a year and a few months here, but I've got to see this church in action. I've got to see the way this church serves one another. And it's been a sweet thing to, to, to watch. Just a few weeks ago, uh, we had a need, we have need of a lawn care team because this is a big property. We gotta mow it, we gotta weed it. And so I sent out an email to a group of, of men and saying, hey, is anyone able to, to be on this team? And in no time, we had a team filled out quickly. And so last, last Saturday, we had a training for this team, um, you know, where to mow, when to mow, and how to use the equipment and the gear. Because of the equipment that we have, we have a riding lawnmower. And I, I don't know if you've ever read a ride, I don't know if you've ever driven a riding lawnmower before, but they aren't the easiest things in the world. And so myself included, and a lot of the guys had never driven a riding lawnmower before. And so we got to practice, uh, and it was quite a sight to see. Um, I mean, it's sensitive, like, it's touchy, it's touch and go, and it's got some get up and go, it's powerful. And so we made some practice laps, and you could just look at, look at the laps and just see the lines, and it was just like a total zigzag. Like, I think we might have gotten better at the end, but it's still, like, if you go out there next week, it was probably me. Um, I think Zach and, and Don, they were both there, I think they both got a got a kick out of it. But this just showed me though that although these men did not have riding lawnmower experience, 
They wanted to show up and serve. And I think they did so not out of obligation, but out of a genuine love for the church. And our church has been growing in the last year. Praise the Lord for that. And, and with growth comes needs, more needs. And with more needs comes more opportunity to serve. So back in January, earlier this year, we, we rolled out what we called the Servant Leadership Pipeline. This defined our ministry areas and the various roles one could serve in. And so there are five levels in the pipeline, and everyone starts off as a volunteer, and then there's opportunity to go up if you want to be a leader of that group or a coach or a director. And the top of that pipeline is, is, a, is a pastor who would oversee that ministry area. And then those are the different levels, but there's also different ministry groups. So it's like, kind of like a five-by-five five model. And so the five ministry groups are, the first one is next-gen, and that's uh, kids, uh, middle school, high school, college, uh, and all, all of those areas are growing. And then there's adult discipleship. This includes the discipleship classes that Buddy teaches during the service in the back room. This includes um, community groups, uh, book study groups. This includes the connection and the welcome team. Then there's worship, which is obviously the band up on the stage, but it's also uh, the tech and sound booth in the back there. Um, I said this last service, but they do a great job. It is truly a behind-the-scenes serving opportunity. Uh, and so AJ's done a great job leading that team, and we've been very blessed uh, through, I mean, they're so fast on the slides, you know, and the lyrics on the screen. Something we don't notice until it goes wrong, right? Um, so we just ought to be appreciative of, of the work that they do back there. Then there's missions. And missions includes uh, both local and global missions, and this category also includes church planting. And then our last ministry area is stewardship. And this includes um, communications team, which is uh, social media, graphics, photo, video. This is also the facilities team, which is the lawn care team, uh, security, uh, and any other things around the property. And so there are many areas to, to serve in. And so I hope this is helpful if you are newer to Overland and you're wondering how to get involved and how to serve. I hope this kind of highlights the various uh, ways that you can serve here uh, at Overland Church. And if you are interested, just come find me after church uh, or find Zach or Buddy when they're back in town uh, and ask them. And we can connect you with the right person to get involved uh, in that ministry area to serve. And as I mentioned, you know, I've just been impressed of the level of service and commitment and devotion to one another that I've seen uh, here at Overland in the last 10 months it is uh, quite an awesome thing to see. And it's, it's not out of obligation. It's not out of guilt. I, I truly believe that it is out, out of love for one another. And so, in conclusion, going back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and, the, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And so my hope, my prayer, is that we experience the same kind of devotion to one another, this same level of commitment to one another. And my prayer is that you would first and foremost fix your gaze upon Jesus Christ, that you would see him 
as your treasure, that you would love him above all else, that you would follow him with your whole life. And from that love would spring forth a deep devotion for the fellowship, for his people. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, it is a privilege to gather with your people, the community of saints. We know that there's a worship service going on right now in heaven. We get to worship right now with one another, to to lift our voice, to, to sing praises to the King of Kings. And so I just pray that, Father, we would be a people who are devoted to the fellowship, that we would be devoted to one another, that we would not have a consumer mindset, but that we would share life with one another, that we would encourage one another, and that we would serve through love. Help us to be a church who is on mission for you in our community, in this city and beyond, that we would seek to save the lost, that we would bring the gospel to the nations, and we would do so in community. We ask this all in your victorious name, King Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing a song of response?